find a way. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 26 of Coffee Time. We are going to have a new special time now. We are transitioning. The show is no longer will be called Dave at the end. He decided to quit. So starting Thursday, we'll have a new guest. We'll have a new co-host. But for tonight, I'm going alone. And we have former MLB player Todd Cunningham. Welcome to the show. I hope you and your family are staying safe. As always, you get your vaccinations yet? Yeah, we're underway, man. That's awesome and good to hear. So let's get right to it. Uh, first, I want to get into um, your your career. Obviously, you played you played for I believe it was the Angels and the Braves, correct? Yeah, that that was my big league time. I became a bit of a journeyman, so had some some other teams on the resume at the minor league level. And uh, would you say when you were called when you were called up till the end of your career? What pitchers, two-part question, what pitchers gave you the most fits and what pitchers did you hit well? Well, if you're looking at big league stats, you can make the argument that most pitchers gave me fits. (laughs) Um, But the one that stands out probably the most has um, had trouble with was a guy named Will Startup. Not a name that most people would recognize, but Mm-hmm. through, I don't know, 83 to 85 lefty, had a really funky leg kick, and the ball just kind of popped out of nowhere at you. So I always remember um, not enjoying facing him just because you couldn't pick it up. And, and then, yeah, and the, the, yeah, the second part, honestly, no one jumps to mind. This is someone I just absolutely owned. Um, I feel like it was more like teams that I played well against. Like the Marlins always feel like I did well against at the big league. So, um, yeah, I... I can't really think of a specific pitcher yeah not a satisfying answer i'm sure yeah no you're fine but yeah like you said yeah i did see your stats you had a career i think what was 208 but honestly does that really matter to you i mean you you made it to unlike whatever unlike what other people can say you actually made it big time i mean is that how you see it instead of the stats wise on how well you perform i'm sure you wish you could have done better but hey you made it there unlike what anybody else says they can do, what very few say they can do. No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's hard to boil down a whole career into one stat line of batting average um, without considering some of the context and um, some of the achievements around that. So, you know, coming from a small town, really no expectations of making it to the big leagues. It's, it was an awesome ride. Um, and once I was at the big league level, much of it was coming off the bench where you're facing – Back in bullpen, guys, the 198 was sink and splitter, so good luck, right? So yeah. um, it, it, I, I had a blast, so I, I definitely am not discounting it from one stat line. Now, transitioning to what the game is today, if you were still playing to this day, do you think you could transition to what it is today of swing and miss, walks, strikeout? Do you, do you think you could handle that better than what you could when you played, do you think you would have had a better stat line? No, I, I think I think that's a really interesting point, right? Like when I was drafted in 2010 by the Braves, um, small ball was still very much valued. You know, they they respected guys that could bunt, they could hit and run, they could steal a bag. 
And about halfway through my career is when the analytics came heavy into the, the game, front office evaluations, and all of a sudden you had to try to be a different type of player. So kind of to your point, like I think that's kind of what helped me um, transition out of the game, right, was that the game just changed on me. And I just uh, – I probably didn't change or adopt some of the new uh, – metrics that that were being used to evaluate players fast enough um if i could go back and do it again you know trying to hit more homers and um taking the walks and not being scared of a punch out like that probably would have been you know a longer a longer career for me um but you know when i was drafted that's not what was valued so uh it was hard to make that transition for me now do you think that's honestly hurting the game with how much analytics is used to this day or do you think it's actually helping the game yeah i I mean i think there's definitely a place for analytics i I don't see analytics ever leaving the game entirely that's just a personal opinion but i do see it as like a pendulum right like right now it's swinging really hard towards analytics and it's probably at some point in the future going to come back to a more moderate uh style of play um but there's just so much more data, just like the rest of the world with, you know, the, the technology of TrackMan coming into it and all the information you can pull from that. And there's computing power where organizations have teams of you know, computer scientists that are just crunching numbers and trying to find that competitive advantage. So I think that's always going to be a component of it for sure. Now, I believe the shift was when you started in when you first called up and that was started by joe madden and other rays go figure he was he's the one that basically starts everything of course <laughs> um did you hate that when you were playing i don't know if you had the shift on you or whatnot with yours because of your stats or whatnot but i know you witnessed it did you personally like it or hate the shift so it depends if you're asking the offensive player, Todd Cunningham, or the defensive player, Todd Cunningham, right? Because so two part question. I would, there you go. Let's go with both. Yeah, two part yeah. question there. So offensively, obviously, it, it sucks, right? Like you step in the box, you're the kind of hitter that you are. You look up into the field, and they have you played really weird. So you think you end up putting in a play, and you're hitting it right at somebody. Um, you hate as a, as a competitor, you hate being figured out, right? You like thinking that you have the advantage and because of all the the stats and the analytics behind it, they have a pretty good idea of where you tend to hit the ball. So offensively, it sucks. Um, but on the defensive side, I considered myself probably a defensive first player in the at the big league level. Um, that's that's kind of what made my career up there, right? Like it, that got me a, a little bit of extra time because I was able to understand some of the hitter tendencies and position well and give myself a chance. And pitchers tend to like that, right? The guy smokes one that pitcher thinks is in the gap, and you're kind of camped out there because you read the scouting report. So, um, yeah, it depends on what side of the ball you're on. <laughs> so now I got to ask, um, with the fans slowly coming back into play and full stadiums slowly coming back into play, you as a player when you played, obviously we didn't go through this when you played, but what would you feel – or how would you have feel field ah sorry feel playing to this day like last year when pl- when players had no audience at all and it was all like driven like by oh I don't know what what they use electronics or whatever I don't know but you as a player when you were playing put yourself through a player to this day when they played last year 
Does that hurt as a player knowing that there's no fans in the stands? I mean, absolutely. Like that's as much as guys like to to tout that they're a true competitor at heart, and it's just them against the pitcher. There, you have to bring into account that the fans and the buzz of the the crowd, stadium, and especially in tense moments when you know it starts to get loud, like that definitely helps fuel you on the field as an athlete. Um, so. Yeah, it would definitely be a different experience playing with no fans. And I think probably the harder part from guys that I've spoken with that went through it last year that are still playing is the effects that it has on their family, right? Um, all of a sudden, they can't travel with them or they have to make the decision of do they isolate and be just with you know their family or do they take a season they can be with friends and kind of more um, auxiliary family. So I think... I think that is, is probably the harder component. Um, on the field, you know, obviously you can get that, that little extra boost from having, you know, fans in the seats. But um, I think the isolation on, you know, behind the scenes is probably harder on performance than, you know, specifically on, in, during, you know, game time. Now, um, I, I got to say this. I think I, I, I'm kind of iffy half and half on this. I don't know if you are as well. But I know they're trying to implement more playoff teams to stop the word quote-unquote tanking. And they started that last year. Do you like that concept of two extra teams in the playoffs? Or do you like the old system better? Yes, you're coming out with some some hot questions right now, right out of the gate. Um, Yeah, I mean, as a fan of baseball, like, I'm not a player anymore. Like, I love seeing more teams in the playoffs. I think it's exciting. Like postseason, postseason baseball is probably my favorite time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I like that that aspect. And if you look on the business side, it probably uh, makes it more a more interesting dynamic where all of a sudden there are more teams that are in the hunt, and obviously revenue dollars are made in playoffs where you're um, you know bigger TV contracts. So like, if you got a shot to make playoffs, you want to make it. Um, so you're right. Like it, it incentivizes maybe some different levels of, of competitive nature from the front office side. Uh, I never saw any any teams trying to tank, as you put it. Uh, but it, you know, I could see you know why would you want to just miss playoffs if you could get a better you know better draft pick by finishing a couple slots down. So I, I definitely understand that there are some incentives in both ways, but. Just purely as a fan, I love I love the, uh, additional teams making playoffs, and that's what I'm half and half. I I mean I agree too. I like it as a fan, um, but also I grew up in the old days with a, with uh, just like you did. That's why you played the game. You loved it too. So I mean, you you know how the old playoffs was. So that's why I'm half and half. I mean, yeah, I like to see more teams. It makes better competition. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm still half and half, and but hey, I think it's going to go well. I mean, like you said, it's more drama comes down to that. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's good for the sport too, right? Like if you look at just viewership numbers, uh, baseball has been fading slowly over the past couple of years. Like even people like my now wife, when we were dating while I was still playing, like she could have taken a leave in baseball because it just games are so long and <laughs> it can be slow action sometimes. So I think any, any way that they can kind of spice it up and bring more fans to the table, I think it's going to be good for the, for the you know, sport as a whole. Now, another two-part question. Any 
favorite stories you had in your playing career off and on the field? <sighs> I mean, on the field would probably be my first big league kit. It's kind of hard to top that. Um, off the field, favorite memory during the baseball season? That's kind of the question. Yes. That's a tough one. I mean, that same year of getting called up for the first time and having to do like the walk of shame with all the other rookies through New York City dressed in a Speedo, like, you know, I don't know if that would be like a good memory or a bad memory, but it's one of the more vivid memories, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so off the field, like that, that was just the first one that, that comes to mind. I couldn't imagine doing that. What was it? The veterans that set that up for you guys to wear speedos. What the heck was that all about? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, <laughs> I this may be taboo to say this word now, but it was you know rookie hazing um, to where you kind of had to earn your spot on the team, and you have the traditional like singing on the bus on the way to the airport after games, where you, you have to each rookie has to get up there and sing a karaoke song. There's just different things, but one of the one of the um, events, if you if you will, um, during that September call-up period for all the rookies was they dropped us all off in matching uniforms. It was tank tops, some, like, wing floaties, a shower cap with, like, flowers on it, and, like, a Speedo. And they dropped us off, like, four blocks from the hotel in New York City. And we, the bus followed us slowly. And the nice thing about it being in New York City is we kind of fit right in, right? Like, we didn't yeah. get too many weird looks because it's New York. Like you, can, you see all kinds of stuff. Whereas if you've been dropped off in a smaller market team, <laughs> it may have caused a little more of a ruckus. But yeah, it was, like I said, definitely one of the more vivid uh, memories of my playing career. So who did you learn from the most in your playing career? Who You were on some teams with, I think, chipper was or did he retire before you were called up yeah he was probably two years retired by the time i made my debut but i was around him in like big league camp for short stints uh, but i would say that the two guys that come to mind for my early playing days is matt diaz uh, he's with the braves he's a, yep. i remember him yep. been, been around for a while good bat off the bench absolutely raked against lefties um but he kind of took me under his wing early and just a really good guide. It wasn't as much technical stuff on the field as it was just how to how to be a big leaguer, how to handle some of the stressors that come along, and how to just enjoy the ride because uh, you never know how long it's going to. And then more from like on the field, you know, how to get ready for a pinch hit at bat, um, how to think through when that pitcher might come out of the game for the pinch hit, how to think through um, you know what outfielders might be a defensive replacement for. Reed Johnson was that guy. He. Uh, I, I haven't fact-checked this, but I heard that he played, you know, 11 or 12 years in the big leagues, never had a multi-year deal. So every year he played for his next contract. Yeah, because I is, think when you got called up, he was finishing his career out with with the, uh, with the you guys, the uh, Braves. Because he was, right. I remember him, He I remember when he was first called up, he was with the Blue Jays. He spent most of his career with the Blue Jays. Yeah, and he was such a solid dude, right? Like, like I said, he would walk you through all of the the very nuanced details of how to prepare for a big league environment as far as like your role on the team. And that's something that doesn't matter, you know, how many years you get in the minor leagues or what sort of farm system you come up in. It's really hard to prepare for that without having guys that have been. 
What about what, uh, what about Mike Sosha? What'd you learn from him as a manager? I know you played with him. He was a hall yeah. hall of famer. I know that in his own right. Yeah, Sosha was. I mean, he was a great manager. He spent a long time with the Angels, and I was fortunate enough to, to play while he was still there. And um, the thing that I really appreciated about him was that he was so honest and straightforward. Right, like the one thing that you want as a player is you you want to know what's expected of you, and you want to know where you stand. And when guys start BSing you, you can typically sniff it out. And so he, he wasn't about that. He, he lets you know straight up, this is what we expect of you now that you're you know on this team and if things aren't going so well, this is what we need for you to do to to help us as a club. And I think with that that type of leadership, guys, you know, really knew where they stood on that um, on that ball. Now, I don't know if your LinkedIn is correct, but it is say you were a coach. Yeah, I uh so it's always an interesting transition when you go from playing to whatever comes after. And uh, I spent a year coaching with the Angels in their minor league system, trying to really figure out where I was going to fit into my post-playing life. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time, I was applying to grad schools. I was feeling out what it would look like to stay in the game, um, what it would be like to stay with Angels specifically, um, and then what roles might make sense. And ultimately, I ended up leaving to go back to grad school, which I just graduated Saturday. Oh, so congratulations. Yeah, I appreciate it. So um, I was happy to, to go through that. But um, yeah, I spent spent that year coaching their high club and actually really loved it. Uh, I think the hardest part was it's on the other side of the country from where my family is, which is it's tough. That's kind of what comes with that territory. So if you ever were offered back to go to coaching, would you take it or would you take an announcing job? I think if the situation was right, like... Um, different stages of your life you have different priorities right and so like when I was younger I was all about moving all over the world um, bounced around all to a bunch of different teams played in the Dominican um, played in Mexico one year like had a blast and then meet a lady and want to settle down and start a little family and priorities change right so bouncing all over the world is, is a little harder and so I think as long as the, the situation was right and you know, the opportunity was right to be able to to be a dad and a husband um, as well, then I think that that would, yeah, I would love to do it, right? Like, that's kind of what everyone dreams of doing. Yeah, I mean, I that's how I that's how I live it. I mean, I found I found the girl, uh, the woman of my dreams, and we got married, have two kids. So, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of it. Yeah, um, absolutely, man. Congrats. It's an awesome experience. So, you're right on that. You can't beat that, correct? Absolutely. <laughs> um... <laughs> But yeah, so now I kind of want to ask you to, um, grow, growing up, because I know there's not much age difference between us, so we were both 90s, 90s boys, and yeah. watching the so-called steroid era, do you believe that honestly it hurt or helped the game? The steroids came into the game? No, the steroid era. Do you think that hurt or helped the game? Man, that is a double-edged sword, right? Like, you have your baseball purists that, you know, get really upset that uh, anybody would disrespect the game in that way. But also, it was kind of exciting, right? Like, all the homers uh, kind of rejuvenated the game and brought some more fans into it with some of the the home run chases and whatnot. So, um, I mean, if you're looking at, like, a macro level, like, big picture – there's probably an argument to be made that it helped the game. Um, but if you look at what baseball has always been to 
America specifically, you know, America's pastime. It's not the way it was intended to be played. And that's hard, hard to swallow and hard to uh, tip your cap and appreciate an era where, you know, guys are cheating. So it's, that's a tough one, man. I think there's an argument both ways. Did you think when you were watching it, like I was, that there was indeed juicing going on? If I can be really honest, I probably didn't care because I thought it was just awesome to watch all the homers, right? Like, I was born in 89, so, you know, there towards the end of the 90s when McGuire and Sosa are having the slugfest and trying to set the record, I'm eight, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, and I just wanted to see some homers get hit. Um, and so, like, probably not the purest answer of, like, you know, the baseball spirit, but it was exciting, right? It was, yeah, it was. I'm not going to deny that. So do you think uh, those guys should ultimately be in a Hall of Fame or no? Uh, fortunately, I'm not the one that has to make that decision because right? that's a hard call, right? Because right? it, uh, it is. Yeah, and so, I mean, I don't envy the person that has to say yes or no to allowing them in, but I do know that no matter what you're on, um, to be able to hit some of those pitches that they were hitting is still impressive. Like, they were still all really good players. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a tough one, man. I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. Yeah, right. Same. Uh, what do you remember most about your debut and when, where, and what were you thinking when you first got the call that you were being called up to the majors? Yeah. Uh, this is probably... The question I get asked the most, right, about my time playing is what was it like that first game? And so I'm sorry if you've already heard a very common story like this, but I'm going to tell yeah, you my story. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So we were in AAA playing the Charlotte Knights, and we had an off day the next day. And we had all kind of piled up at my teammate's lake house, his family there near Gwinnett. And so we were hanging out there. We were down on the dock just being guys, just hanging out with an off day tomorrow. And get a call about midnight that night um, from a number I don't know and answer it. It's my manager at the time. And he's telling me, you know, just kind of asking like, so what are you doing? I was like, just kind of hanging out. Like, what are you doing? It's midnight. <laughs> but, well, I just wanted to call and let you know that uh, you need to report to the stadium tomorrow about one thirty two o'clock. It's still, we got an off day tomorrow. Like, <laughs> I don't, maybe you just woke up and you're still like sleep talking. I don't know. But it's like, no, no, no. You need to be a Turner field, not, you know, over at Gwinnett. And so obviously the head starts spinning. I'm with a group of guys already and we're kind of celebrating down there on the dock and call my parents, wake them up and tell them. And then I realized like, I should probably go to bed. Right? <laughs> I got a big day tomorrow. So I try to get a few hours of sleep and we're an hour or so outside of Gwinnett Lake House. And the next day I get up early. I get trying to get in touch with the clubby to get in and get my stuff and pack up, get over to the stadium. And I'm not supposed to be there till like 132. I'm there like 1130, like way too early. <laughs> and so I'm the first one there getting fitted for my uniform, just kind of soaking it all in. And um, I can remember like coordinating with my parents of who was going to be there, who wasn't. And so my mom uh, was coming over from some other people from the college that I went to. And my dad um, unfortunately, I had to be with my brother while he was doing some stuff for uh, college soccer. Mm. And so um, the, the game goes on. It's about the fifth inning, I believe. We're playing the Rockies. There's a lefty that comes in to pitch, Jeff Francis. And I get the pinch hit not. And so I'm all pumped up. I walk out there and I'm all nervous. I'm trying to have my game plan. Don't really remember anything about it except he threw me a lot of all speed pitches and I'm out front. 
did a little weak line drive into left field for a base hit in my first um, big league at bat. So I'm I'm stoked, but I'm trying to like play the role, right? Um, so I'm trying to act all serious and tough, and I'm just trying to hold back a smile. Is really all that all that it comes down to. Now, Jason Hayward. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Finish. No, so Jason, Jason Hayward's behind me. He gets a hit. Um, so now it's men, man on first and second. They do a pitch and change. And I'm just standing on second and just kind of like looking up and seeing how big Turner Field is and just appreciating the noise. And then I hear, you know, Jason kind of trying to get my attention. And he used to do this like, like he would cut the noise. I don't know. So he gets my attention and he's like, come over here. And he like gives me a big hug. And he's huge, right? He's like 6'5". I'm a very normal, normally built individual. So like he just swallows me. Um, and he tells me to tip my cap. So I give, you know, the fans a nod. Come to find out, during all of this um, going on in the game, the camera zoomed in on my mom and just like, look, this is Todd's mom. Look how proud she is. And the person she had come with was our radio announcer from my uh, my college. Oh, and so go. they were calling him my dad. And so like, it's still an ongoing joke that his name's Mike Paris at, at JSU, um, where I went to school. And he still calls me a son just because he got caught up in the camera panning the stands because he was sitting next to my mom after my big hit. So um, it's a fun story that you know, we still get to laugh about now, but it was you know, obviously an incredible day. Now, your last game in a bat in the majors, did you have a funny feeling in your heart? Did you know it was over in the majors? Uh, no, right? Like, I think that's, that's kind of the mystique about getting that that shot in the big leagues is you don't know how long it's going to last and so um you know we were playing san francisco the giants and um they needed to make a roster move to bring up another arm and i was the extra guy and it just kind of happened and so at that point my thought is like all right i'm just gonna have to earn my way back up and so you know spend the next two or three seasons trying to get back to the big leagues and so very rarely do I think guys know that they'll never get back. And I think that's part of what makes an athlete competitive is whether they're totally off base or not, they always think they've got a shot, right? So like no matter how bad of a season I've had, if I get hot right now, I could get back in the big leagues, right? You always have to have that little bit of hope. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely did not know, uh, you know that last game that I played with the Angels that I would never be back to the big leagues. Now... Uh, your time with the your time with the Braves, you said you spent with uh, Reed Johnson, Dan Ugla, uh, like you said, uh, Matt Diaz, I think was his name, right? Because I, I remember yeah, he that. wasn't he wasn't there during that part. He was around for a lot of the uh, the big league camps that I was a part of. But yeah, I mean they had a stacked outfield. They had both Upton Brothers and Hayward yeah. and Reed Johnson, and it's just like tough to crack that lineup. Um, just like the young kid coming through the system. Who was who? Who would you say the leaders in the locker room were for 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 that squad when you played? Who took the charge? Yeah, I mean Freddie Freeman was on that team as well. Um, pretty good hitter, <laughs> so naturally he's going to be a leader on the team. One of the more impressive guys was Ugla. Um, he struggled a lot with Atlanta at that mm-hmm. point in his career, and he was still super respected by everyone else on the team because he showed up to the field ready to play every day. And I think that that made him, you know, a bit of a leadership um, position. And then, you know, in the outfield, you got some some pretty good players with J.A. and J. Up. And, and then 
his, his, his brother. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, I think there were a lot of guys that contributed to the personality of that team, but I would say Freeman and Ugla and Hayward were probably like the three that I remember the most of, of just feeling like they ran the clubhouse, right? As a, as a young rookie, I don't have a whole lot of insight and I'm probably missing a ton of guys that deserve a shout out, but um, those are kind of the ones that jumped to mind. Now, do you remember your first hit and who it was off and who you were facing? Yeah, so that was my my debut. Um, Jeff Francis was the lefty with the Rockies. Um, hit a change up in the left field, kind of out front, one hand, and just slipped through the infield. Did you have Did you have the whole team gang up on you when you came back to the dugout? Yeah, they they did the old uh, give you the fake ball, act like they throw it in the stands. They did that whole thing, and Reed Johnson um, actually wrote on it, you know, first major league hit, and misspelled every word on there, gave it to me, like, oh, this is your actual ball. It was a joke, obviously. So, um, yeah, they, they, they had a good time with uh, with putting the rookie in his place, right? And I think that's, that's part of the beauty of being on a team like that, to be able to go through those moments. Now, did you have a favorite place you played at when you uh, played for both the – Braves and the Angels because I know it's NLAL so did you have a favorite place you played for and what fan base gave you the most fits that you did not like yeah so when I was with Atlanta I was up and down a ton um, because Gwinnett and Atlanta are so close so I feel like every every time I was called up with Atlanta we played either the Mets or the Marlins I feel like, I feel like we went to uh, to New York to play the Mets every other week when I was up there um, and that's that's a fun place to play, right? Like you're in New York City, all the hustle and bustle, so much to see. So that was fun. As far as like the actual stand, uh, stadium and stuff, uh, playing out against the Giants. This is back when they had been on a pretty good run and had won some World Series. And remember, it was a Tuesday night, and the place was packed. Why are there so many people on a random Tuesday? Um, that's just how how they you know, operated there. The fans are just diehard. And I played left field that night uh, against uh, Tim Hudson, just pounding sinkers all, all night. And everyone in the stands out in left field where I was playing was, was chanting at me the whole game. What's the matter with Cunningham? He's a bum. Nonstop for like eight innings. So it was, it was a long night. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> do you still talk to any of the players you played with today? Or do you talk to any current players? Yeah, um, the guys that all came through the same draft, that 2010 draft with with the Braves. Um, there's a few of us that, that still keep in touch, and it's it's pretty cool to be a part of that little family, right? Like, kind of went through very similar life experiences uh, that are very unique that most people aren't going to get a chance to to go through them all together. So we went through a lot of the minor league um, steps as well as a lot of our big league debuts before everyone gets traded. Um, assigned to different clubs and whatnot. So, um, but we're, we're able to still keep in touch, which is, which is great. Uh, so now, I don't know if you, I'm sure you do, like I do. Uh, let's go with current baseball and two of your former teams. I got to ask you first and foremost about the Braves. What do you think the Braves need to do this year to win the World Series? What do they need to get? Yeah, you're asking some tough questions because, like I said, I've been in a graduate program living under a rock studying 24-7, so I probably haven't kept up with it as much as I should have. I just know that they have a lot of really good young players 
and I saw that Acuna's been hurt. So, I mean, they need to get their guys back on the field, right? And I think he's finally coming back and starting to play. But um, when you got young talent like that, like, get out of their way, right? <laughs> Just let them go. So um, keep them healthy, keep them, you know, motivated and um, engaged with the game. And, um, you know, good things, I think, are going to happen for them. And what about the Angels? Because they just released Pujols, and now he's on the Dodgers. Yeah, they just what released you- Pujols. I saw the Trout got hurt, yep. and he's going to miss six to eight six weeks. Eight weeks, yep. Same thing, right? Like, you need your guys on the field. Um, what about pitching-wise? Because they've never been good at pitching, and they blame it all on Pujols in that contract. Yeah. It, I mean, it'll be interesting, right? Like, obviously, I don't I don't know what the contract details look like, if Angels are having to eat any of those, those contract dollars, but you got to think that that'll free up um, some spending, um, free up some budget to be able to go out and get some arms to really compete. Because when you have arguably the best player in the big leagues with Mike Trout, like you should have a shot to win. You should, especially given him the big contract like that, they, they intend to be competitive. And so go out and get those missing pieces. And so hopefully, hopefully they'll have some, some dollars to be able to spend to do that. Um, who else release? Now, as we talked about earlier, we briefly got into it the, about the game. What do you think baseball has to do more to market their better players? Because right now, it's only the players that are on the main teams, like the bigger cities like New York, Philly, L.A., Texas. You know that. So what, what, what can they do to market better their players and their teams that are struggling? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. If I answer that, I could probably, you know, make a lot of money selling that idea. But I think at the end of the day, um, it's important to remember that baseball is a business, right? And so like teams that are big market teams that have more audience viewer, viewership share, um, that obviously you're going to promote those because that's what the fans are into. Uh, which is unfortunate because it creates some dichotomy. It creates the have and the have-nots with the big market teams and the small market team. And it's really hard to break through doing that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it depends on just your, your perspective on life and, and how much you think there should be some larger authority kind of governing some of the smaller players or whether you think that it's all going to all gonna work itself out with um, perfect competition. So um, I think you're right. It's, it's definitely something that happens. And it's definitely something that makes uh, baseball interesting to follow because there are some incentives to promote bigger market teams because they have bigger viewerships. Um, but that definitely hurts some of the smaller market players, which I think is where it gets really interesting if you're like really into the weeds as a baseball fan. Because you look at you know someone like the Rays, who's a smaller market team, and they're able to really put together a, a team that's World Series caliber um, without such a huge budget and so how teams can leverage a lot of the analytics in the game to find some of those undervalued players um, to be able to build out that team and then so as more teams are able to do that as you're adding more teams to the playoffs and getting that exposure you're hope, hopefully you know, playing field will be even a little bit as some of those the viewership and the dollars spent in baseball will get spread around uh, but yeah I mean I wish I had a great answer for you, right? No, of how you, they could you answered as best as you could. I mean, it, I mean that's honestly kind of what my answer would be as well. I mean, I just don't know if there's a good way or not, but still got to be asked because it's still a part of. I mean, it just sucks that there's a lot of good talent out there, and 
the only thing that's being marketed is the big teams. That's it. You know, I mean, it just sucks. Yeah. And I think like time zones play a big part of it too, right? Like you get out to the West Coast, those seven o'clock starting games are, are late for people. Yeah, so it's, right, it's, right. it's hard to accumulate some of those, those viewerships. And you look at just media and what it is right now anyways with some of the streaming services and it's also broken up and blackouts in certain areas of the country because of tv deal and ownership rights it's it gets really complicated to build just like a total country of baseball loving audience um because everything is so pocketed and targeted and that's just that's how a lot of the you know social media advertising operates now so i'm not sure i'm not sure how to tackle that (laughs) Right. Now, when you got on base or when you played in the outfield, did you have any great conversations with any other players on the field? And what, take us through some of those conversations. Were they appropriate for, were they appropriate for podcasts? I think that's probably the better question, right, Brian? Or Byron? Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think... My first big league hit, um, Todd Helton was on first base, Hall of Famer. Like, that's a pretty cool conversation of him saying, hey, you know, it's a really good job up there. Congratulations. You know, I'm sure there'll be a lot more. Like, that That conversation means something. Um, and so, you know, there's some little things like that that kind of stand out. But, yeah, I would say the majority of conversations that happen on a baseball field are just nonsensical or totally inappropriate, right? Like, guys are just out there having a good time. And, you know, with that, you know, it's a long season. You got to find a way to make it fun. And some of that, it just probably isn't worth sharing the story. <laughs> yeah. Did you have, did you have that? Did you, did you do a lot of the talking too? Oh, in, in the heat of the game, I probably didn't talk that much, but I mean, I definitely did some ridiculous stuff. Um, especially there was, when I was in AAA with the Angels, we had just a fun team. And I remember on the road, uh, up in Washington, when, you know, I got a little air horn and I'd hide in every stadium we went to as guys would walk to the to the batting cages and I would, you know, scare everybody as they went to go get ready. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I just stupid stuff like that, right? Where you're just kind of, it's a long, grueling season. You got to find a way to make it fun. You're, you're right about that. 162 games. Yeah. I mean, damn. I couldn't imagine playing that many. <laughs> it's crazy. It's a lot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just. I, I go back and look at it and like just how the just how as we were talking about earlier with the game evolving we'll go back on that a little bit it's just to me I'm still gonna watch the game because I like baseball just like you do but to me a part of me just wants to tune it out because it's not the same like when I was growing up I liked the move the runner over the stealing you don't even see that anymore it's like I, I you get what I'm saying it's tough it's tough as a fan right? I, I, I do it's understand tough. because with small ball there's so much more strategy right there's some nuance involved where there is some outwitting going on of who can be smarter than the other team when it turns into launch angle, um, you know, exit below, like there's one strategy. How hard can you hit it and how far can it go? 
Um, and so with that, it kind of flattens the, the, the playing experience or the viewing experience for the band. And so you were mentioning how to like better market baseball. I think it would be interesting to bring in guys that um, have played and that understand some of the nuances and especially if they're a little, a little more versed in the analytics as well to bring all that into context, right? So like this guy's showing an above average um, spin rate. What does that actually feel like when you're sitting in the box? And so I think like giving that that type of color commentary to like bring into context some of the, the real heavy analytics that's being used and thrown around um, just to kind of bring it to life for the fans that enjoy that that pureness of the game. So to understand that when a guy is spinning it hard and it's a true spin angle, you're in the box and it feels like it's rising. So you got to make it, you got to push the strike zone down. You get, it starts at your ankles, then your gear doesn't swing. Otherwise, it's, you know, at your neck. So I think some of that sort of commentary could make it all make sense and tie tie both worlds together where you have people that enjoy the analytics and people that enjoy just the pureness like of half grinding. And half, and yeah. eating. Basically yeah. do half and half. I, I, I like that idea better. I'm, I'm not saying fully get rid of it, but at least do half and half. And I just don't right. think there's a team right now that's doing that. It's mainly, to me, just analytics. I can't think of a team right now out there that does does that. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think you'd be surprised if you saw some of the stuff behind the scenes of of how they're incorporating some of the analytics. Um, you know, building out some some VR capabilities to where, based on what the spit outs from all the computers say, you can put on goggles and you can watch scouting reports of guys live and what's their what's their pitch actually going to do? What's it going to feel like in the box? And so that kind of blends the two approaches together um, in my mind. So now I got to ask you. The unwritten rules of baseball, okay? What are they? And personally, do you think they're just flat out stupid, the unwritten rules of baseball? Some of them are dumb, but like that's part of what, that's part of the beauty of any sort of tradition, right? So the first thing that comes to mind is like stealing signs, right? Uh, that's been, you know, pretty hot talk this couple years with some of the scandals of the Astros and everyone's trying to steal a sign but you can't <laughs> that's the unwritten rule right so um, I think some of that kind of stuff uh, helps put it in perspective to where you can't really get mad if someone's trying to steal signs but when you're setting up cameras and being very blatant and obvious about how you're relaying signs that's that's when you've broken that unwritten rule right? like respect um, so some of them are like necessary or else you can go too far um and then some of them are probably not as necessary right like i played on some organizations that were really strict about you had to, to shave and wear your pants a certain way and those rules that aren't written down in a baseball handbook probably don't make a difference right <laughs> um some of the like pimping homers and showing guys up that kind of goes back to just respecting the game respecting the competitor I think as long as you kind of keep those distinctions of whatever you do as long as it honors the game of baseball then I think it's probably probably the game so I think that unless you have some other unwritten rules kind of in mind that you're thinking of. I'm actually glad you brought that up do you like that when players do that I mean a lot of people are saying now they don't mind if players do that because that's what baseball actually needs like celebrating when after hitting a home run or something 
a lot of people are saying that's what baseball needs. Do you agree, or is that, as you said, not respecting the game? Yeah, I think it, I think it matters how it's done, right? Like, I honestly, I was a very uh, head down kind of player. I'm gonna do the job and I'm gonna do it hard, and you're not even gonna, you're, you're never gonna hear me talk about it or show. Um, just look at the results on the field and then I move on. So I wish I had a little more of that. I wish I would have soaked it all in if you hit a big homer late in the game that you kind of watch it fly a little bit before you start running. But when it comes to the point of like chucking the bat and like pointing at guys or not moving until it lands, like that's too much because then that shows up the other way. But I think just appreciating the game and kind of uh, marking that this was a special occasion, right? Like hitting a grand slam and eight to go up by two, that probably shouldn't be done and then just you run straight back to the dugout, right? So I think there is is a line um, of where it depends. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I do think in certain contexts it is good for the game because, like I said, it makes it a little more exciting, but not to the point where it's it becomes about, look at me, I'm the best player on the field. I think that's that's when you go too far. Now, the other unwritten rule I was thinking of that happens a lot, the pitchers throwing at hitters for that main thing like you, like we just talked about, uh, celebrating. Do you, do you think that needs to go away from the game? So you got to remember, I'm a hitter. So, of course, that needs to go to get, go away from the game, right? Like, I don't need 98 flying, flying by my neck. Um, and that's a situation that could really get guys hurt. And so my answer, and obviously this is very much a hitter's answer, is if you don't like it as a pitcher, pitch better, right? <laughs> don't give Agreed. up the homer. So, Agreed. Um, yeah, that, that's a very old school mentality. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't like when guys get thrown at because I feel like it's unnecessary. Um, there are times when you need to stand up for your teammates, and I 100% get that. But when it comes to the risk of hurting other guys or – give up a homer and then now you have a guy on first again following that like that doesn't help the team either so i think there are there are certain ways to do it where you can stand up for your teammates without putting guys at the risk of injury growing up before you played what would you say was the moment that got you to want to play baseball what was there a specific game what was it that got you wanting to play baseball yeah, so my grandparents were uh, huge Braves fans. And this is back in like, you know, the early '90s when they had the the big three with Maddox, Flavin, and Smoltz, and mm-hmm. uh, they would watch it, you know, every weekend. So I remember going over there on Sundays, watching the game um, with them, getting excited. I don't know what I'm yelling at. I'm like four or five years old, but like everyone else is excited. And then they got me a T-ball set, and I can remember going out in the backyard with them, and it's like a little plastic bat, plastic ball. And I, you, know, you see everybody wearing batting gloves on TV, so I wanted some batting gloves. And the closest thing I could find is my grandma's gardening gloves. <laughs> so I'm going out there and putting on her gardening gloves and trying to hit homers over the, over the shrubs um, with my little t-ball set. And so I think coming from a family that really got into it and was passionate about enjoying it um, and just kind of let me explore that, I think obviously is what, what helped me you know, get set on that path to playing. But did you have, was there a specific moment, like, when you watched the game? Was there a specific moment that you remember most that was like, hey, I got to play this. Even though 
yeah, you, you grew up in a family that was watching it, but was there a specific moment you remember watching? Uh, not that, not one that inspired me to play. I remember watching when the Braves lost in the 1995 World Series, or, uh, no, they won in 95, they lose like the year before, whatever it was. I was pretty young. And I remember I was devastated, absolutely devastated. I'm like, you're six years old. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I remember some pretty vivid moments, but I wouldn't say that that's necessarily uh, an inspiring one, right? Um, so yeah, I'm not sure, not sure there was one moment that did it for me. So yeah, watching it, watching it that day, cause what got me into it, especially being a Padres fan was Tony Gwynn. Uh, did you ever have like a coach that, that was like a Tony Gwynn that actually helped you mechanical, mechanicalize, even though you'd probably knew how to already hit from Little League and up, was there a certain coach that helped you more? Yeah, I mean, obviously I had lots of coaches that poured into me throughout throughout my time playing, but I mean, probably the biggest name that Braves fans would recognize is Terry Pendleton, you know, who was with Atlanta for you know, my duration there. And um, he wasn't as much of an offensive coach at the time, so... He helped me a lot with defense. I was uh, spent some time learning the infield. Um, he could pick it a little bit, so he helped me out there, uh, which was fun. And um, work ethic is one thing that I saw from him too. He was in the weight room literally every day, just getting after, um, and just seeing seeing guys and how they carry themselves that really had a, a really good career. Um, that that rubs off on you, right? So like when you're around it, it kind of lifts you up. So. Uh, he's the guy that jumps to mind of like really kind of walking the walking the walk um, to uh, to go along with the talk. Any advice that you would give whoever watching this to kids growing up to to play in the field like you said you were an outfielder and uh, being a bench player, being cold and being cold off the bench to to hit? Can you give them any advice? Yeah, as far as like the defensive side, I think I think the biggest intangible is just taking pride in it, right? Like it's not as sexy as hitting the homers, but you sure can make a big difference for your teammates by being a good defender. Um, and so wanting to be a good defender is something that's really hard to teach. Uh, I definitely saw that uh, when I was coaching, saw it when I was playing. The guys that were good defensively are the guys that wanted to be good. Um, as far as being a good bench player, I think it's really important to just understand who you are as a player and figuring out a way to help the team, right? Like if I, if I would have rolled into the clubhouse trying to pretend to be a superstar, probably wouldn't work, right? Um, I was, uh, was not that caliber of player to be able to walk in there and, and act that way. So I, I think what really helped my career was understanding that, you know, I can, I can help this club, but it has to look a certain way based on my skill set and based on what the team needs. And so, I think any young player really feeling out and understanding what kind of player you are, what are your gaps or deficits, and how you can improve those. I think that's really important to be successful in the long term. And my final question to you before we let you go. I know it's early, and I know you haven't watched much, but who do you think will be in the World Series and who will win it this year? Uh yeah, I don't. I don't have a 
I don't have a very educated guess for this, right? Like you can look at historicals, but I think I'm just going to say um, whoever whoever I still know on the team, I'm rooting for the player, not the team at this point. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So I, I hope one of my buddies that I played with is in the World Series more than I hope that a team is in the World Series. And who would that be? Yeah, so I mean, the, the first ones that come to mind is Simmons, is one of my, my good buddies. Um, David Hale still still kicking it up there in, in the big leagues. Phil Gosselin's getting some time up there. So I hope one of them that, that came through that original Atlanta crew um, finds their way to the World Series this year. There you go. That's fair enough to say. I yeah. mean, Gosselin, I think, won it last year. I think he's yeah. with the Dodgers, correct? I think. Yeah, he wasn't there last year. Um, he's kind of bounced around a little bit. So there's been some guys that have had some some playoff opportunities, though. It's exciting to watch. Yeah, David Hell was another one. He's been with the Yankees. The Yankees yeah. Thing. Now I think he's with the Phillies, I think. Yeah, yeah, so he's had some playoffs. And Simmons, oh, yeah, he's definitely been in the playoffs for sure. Yeah. Last year, he made it what to the NLCS, I yeah, think, against the board. Dodgers. Yeah, so they're yeah. they're close. Yeah. They're close. It's just getting over that plateau that we know as the Dodgers, who love to spend. <laughs> yeah, that that makes it harder for sure. <laughs> well, the Padres can be said. My team can be said the same thing. We spent so much money on free agents, and we've yeah. and we've traded for Darvish and Snell who are also big names who are also money grabbers too big time contracts so I mean oh it's gonna be it's gonna be fun it's gonna be tough this year I can tell you that right now I'm looking forward to it yeah I mean I'm I like I said I love watching playoff baseball so I'll be tuning in for sure definitely but it was a fun fun time I'm glad you had time to come on uh i'd love to have you on again sometime in the future um i got you on linkedin um so we'll stay in touch um i i respect the fact that you don't give out your number so i'm not going to ask you that i'll just contact you on linkedin (laughs) you got linkedin you got my email exactly exactly So, but my last thing to you before I head off, I, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to share this episode on your social media platforms. Um, that would help out a lot for more views as well. And, and if you know anybody else, bring them my way, hit, have them hit me up on Twitter, that how I got you and LinkedIn, whatever, you know. Always looking for more interviews, so I'd appreciate yep. it. Absolutely. No, I appreciate you having me on, Byron. I, I enjoyed it, man. It's been a while since so I've got to talk baseball. Definitely, definitely. And I'm glad that you took time out of your busy schedule, too, because I, I, know, I know how it is. Wife and kids, I know how it is, so I for appreciate sure. it. But all right, you have a good night, and you and your family stay safe. Awesome. Sounds good. <laughs> have a good night. See you, man. <laughs> Bye. Todd Cunningham, everybody, former major leaguer, 
What an awesome conversation. Glad he took the time to come out and have a hour or so of his time to talk some baseball. But that this does it for this episode of Coffee Time. And remember, folks, Thursday is a new era for this show. We will have a new co-host officially. And this time, he says he's going to stay, so I leave him to that. So you all have a good night. And take care.